0: Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition. It's Rosie on the House.
1: Beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. We have a lot of beautiful mornings. But you should never take them for granted. Had you been waking up on February 21st, 1980 in Wickenburg, Arizona, you'd be dealing with the aftermath of a 40-foot wall of water washing away half the town as a result of heavy rains washing out the Walnut Grove Dam.
2: What year was that?
1: 1890. Long time ago. Uh, 129 years ago Uh, when it was evident that the dam was going to give way superintendent sent dan burke he's like you're a paul revere man we'll warn him the waters are coming get on your horse and ride he had four miles to go to get to the conversion dam that was being built downriver to let everyone know get out get out get out
2: Did fortunately there was
1: a saloon halfway in between that he stopped at oh, and no. never made it any further
2: that is a horrible story <laughs>
1: Well, you know how That's those Saturday boys can be. Ah, come on, Dan. <laughs> well, we're going to die if you don't have another drink with us.
2: Ooh.
1: Come hell or high water if you don't have another <laughs> shot. Come on, let's do some shots. Wow. Wiped out Henry Wickenberg's orchard, and that was uh, pretty much financially broken from there through the rest of his life. So it was, uh, And the dam had never been rebuilt. We've spent all month covering the town of Wickenburg is the destination of our March staycation winter. Uh, had some great interviews to cover the Hacienda River Preserve. Uh, Rod Pratt with the Vulture City and the restoration work they're doing. Uh, Desert Caballeros Western Museum and an artist. Uh, that, Judith Durr. Uh, you all had a, a great interview. I was gone. that. We had a rodeo that week. I missed that interview. Uh, but all of these you can get at com. You can download the podcast. And uh, along with the conversation we have with our winner uh, and their experience at the Flying E Ranch that is starting off cowgirl. Well, the
2: the, the the museum is having cowgirl up. Exhibition is what you're thinking of. But the Flying E has all kinds of fun week cowgirl weekends in February. So if you're interested, get on the Flying E website and sign up for next year and get your girlfriends to go.
1: Very good. There was a great picture in the... Uh, paper this week of salt river fields a spring training baseball game just the picture perfect arizona you've got all that flooding in the midwest the polar vortex or whatever they're calling it in the northwest and here you do have snow but it's snow on top of the mcdowell mountains and everyone sitting down on the baseball fields is in t-shirts jeans some of them even have shorts is that not the most personal we don't get those every day no, and You got to be thankful when they come. If
2: you came in February, you weren't as happy with us. But if you were here in March, <laughs> you loved us.
1: Of course, the snow on the McDowell's is all gone, but there's still snow on the Santa Rita's. I had the privilege of having lunch with our KGVY affiliates this week, Jim and Deanne, down in Green Valley, Uh Got to swing into the Titan Missile Museum. Uh, our February staycation wow. winner was in Tubac, and we interviewed the Titan Missile. They're like, come on a tour. I'm like, I- I've got 20 minutes. Uh, let me just get a sneak peek. Got a few pictures. I uh, got a few things from the gift shop for the kids. And I had to get to lunch. And then for after that, I ran down to Tubac and grabbed an egg salad sandwich from the goods, one of 10 destinations. From Arizona Highways, April edition, they have a sandwich tour, and that was the farthest one south. I'm like, I'm all the way in Green Valley. I'm, I'm going the extra—it's 23 kilometers. It goes from miles to kilometers on 19.
2: We're going to have a hard time keeping <laughs> you in your seat at work until you've had all those sandwiches. I noticed your little bins in the office, too, in the refrigerator. They're, like, all full now of sandwiches <laughs> stuff. <laughs> You're inspired.
1: Oh, and, and we're going to have the author of this article on next week in our Arizona Hour, so we look forward to that. But uh, today's topic in our Arizona Hour actually was inspired by a radio broadcast we had in December about some historic preservation that was done. In Prescott, Arizona, we were there for the Christmas tree courthouse lighting the first December, the first Saturday of every December. And uh, this email comes in talking about how he thoroughly enjoyed uh, the architect from Prescott. So let me tell you what I've been working on in Phoenix. And it has uh, just developed from there. And we've brought Mr. Steve Schumer in. Schumacher. Schumacher. Thanks for taking time out of this saturday morning your card here says building the future
3: of phoenix history right right thank you thank you so much romey quite an opportunity and jennifer you've been just just marvelous in helping us make Hmm. this happen thank you i'll take it (laughs) so tell us what you're working on i've got an article i clipped
1: out from earlier this month about pioneers month in phoenix and i understand you had quite a quite a bit to do with making that happen
3: well, I'd like to think so. Um, yeah, about a year ago, I started... Uh, real, the important thing to understand is um, up till about the mid-1970s, Phoenix did a pretty good job of recognizing its pioneers. And then something happened, and it all dropped off. And personally, I'm on a mission to try to get more recognition and celebration of our pioneers. Um, March 12th, which was a couple weeks ago, was the, uh, 151 years ago, Jack Swilling, who started Phoenix, really he dug the first canal and turned water from the Salt River into that canal to grow crops around uh, around the airport. So that's why March is Phoenix Pioneers Month.
2: How long ago was that? You said it was 1868.
3: Wow. Yeah, there's a reason it, it, he didn't start in July. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we've been trying uh, to do, Rob and I have been trying to do a lot more education and awareness uh, for citizens, school kids, uh, anybody who is within the valley to try to make them more aware, educate them a little bit more about the history of Phoenix, because we found that once people are a little more aware of its colorful history, they'll be a little more conscious of some of our historic buildings. So that's, that's really what we're trying to do.
1: And you've brought a guest with you.
3: Right. A good friend of mine, good colleague, as well as uh, an incredible historian, uh, Rob Malikian. Family owns the San Carlos Hotel and uh, several other historical properties, but I'll let him uh, introduce himself.
0: Thank you, everyone, because this is so important to history is to uh, 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 give visibility to it and education for people. The story of Phoenix is a unique and rich history that most people don't know. In fact, Phoenix has there are two stories in Phoenix because of the ancient uh, Native Americans and then the modern uh, uh, Europeans who came. And it's thanks to Steve that we have a birthday of March 12th. He researched it 151 years ago is when the water started flowing again in the canals.
2: And so your family is deeply involved in, in projects of restoring things, correct?
0: Correct. We love the hustle and bustle of downtown uh, Tucson, Phoenix, Scottsdale, people walking, interacting uh, and I think the young people, Millenniums, like that also. So we're hoping to get more of a 24-hour night, uh, life in both Phoenix, Tucson, and Scottsdale.
1: And the historic buildings that y'all, your family owns, the San Carlos, that's the downtown Phoenix?
0: Down, last of the 1920 hotels downtown. Movie stars, ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a magnet for history, because a lot of people walk in and tell us about their grandparents staying there, their parents staying there during the World War II. Uh, give us old photographs of Phoenix, it connects people, which most historic buildings do, and that's why Steve and I kind of want to save what history we have left uh, to connect people.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear somebody that has an appreciation for it owns it, because every time I end up in downtown, I just think, you know, all the new buildings and structures, and not only just Phoenix downtown, but all over, I just think, well, San Carlos is still there. I wonder how much longer till they'll take an old wrecking ball to that, but it sounds like uh, it's owned by somebody who's got an appreciation and uh, desire to keep that and uh, going forward.
0: 91 years. It's never closed its doors. It's always been an active uh, building. Hopefully it'll always stay a landmark in downtown Phoenix. We're just temporary custodians of that and other historic buildings.
2: And it still functions as a hotel. You,
0: you amateurishly, but yes, it does. It's <laughs> okay. That's the profit okay. is also a historical thing, but um, <laughs> we we make a go of it there, and people see what a local identity in Phoenix is like. There, instead of just the cookie cutter hotels.
2: Well, I agree with Romy. You know, um, and it seems like every time you get out and drive around, everything has changed. There's something new. There's a new building. Uh, often we say, I don't even recognize this place. I've been here since '73. Rosie's been here since '64 or '5. So it looks a lot different. And then, mm-hmm. but just In our, you know, adult life, things change so quickly. So I love the idea of repurposing, and and you're big into that. But, um, Steve, you mentioned how many buildings have just been mowed mowed down, and nobody will, you know, a lot of generations from now won't even know that they were there. So can you speak to some of those things that have have just gone?
3: Sure. Uh, Well, one of the things, when I first met Rob about five years ago, and we were talking about, Uh, some of the buildings that have gone away and some that are still remaining. And he threw a number out to me that um, there was a survey that was done in the early 90s by the city of Phoenix uh, trying to figure out exactly how many historic buildings do we have. And at that time, there was 103 buildings still standing that were built 1,900 or prior. And as of today, we have 49 of those left which to me is just an absolute shame. If we're going to focus on historic preservation without any history, we have no historic preservation. And the way we're going um, with that trend, it won't be long before we'll be close to zero, if not at zero. And the other side of it is over the course of pretty much that same amount of time, the city of Phoenix has spent in bond money in the neighborhood of $43 million around historic preservation. So when you ask yourself, wow, we've spent $43 million, yet the number of historic buildings keeps decreasing. Why is that? So,
2: And do you know specifically of those 49, does someone have their eye on those? Or oh. are you actively like trying to—
3: Oh, very they much intervene so. intervene in all those. Absolutely. The the um, Historic Preservation Director and the department, they focus on those quite a bit and are really... Um, they've actually come up with a phrase that says, draw the line at 49, in trying to save those buildings and focus on those. Unfortunately, there's only... And Rob can speak more to it, but there, there's only so much that the city can do. The reality is... There are demolition permits that can be put on hold, and the developers need to uh, justify those. But the reality is, even with all of that, only about one year is all that can be done in terms of saving a building at the most. Talking historic preservation here in the
1: Arizona Hour of Rosie on the House. Cruising
3: through the Arizona Hour with
0: Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the House.
1: True or false for a chance at a set of Arizona State Parks passes? Since the Walnut Dam flood, Wickenburg has never flooded again. If that's true, text T to four one one nine two three. If that's false, text F. We'll select one random right winner at the end of this programming segment and send you to a set of State Parks passes. Good to any of Arizona's 35 Arizona State Parks, including Picacho Peak, which I drove past, and you might be a little bit late for your wildflower viewing. There was a lot in Casa Grande mm-hmm. still. Casa Grande to uh, basically what Rawhide, where Rawhide is now, down on uh, like I-10 and Riggs or something like that. It is orange the whole way, but you get towards Picacho, it's, it's all green back up. You might be a little late, but still a great hike. Get you out and about through Arizona. And today we're talking with Steve Schumacher and Robert Malikian about the the, the history and preservation of that history for uh, the Phoenix area.
3: One of the things I, <clears throat> I'd like to throw into the mix, Romy, if you don't mind, is um, the beginnings of Phoenix, people wonder how it really got started. And it, it got started because some people were capitalists out of Wickenburg, actually, Jack Swilling, and they saw an opportunity to revive the canals, that the Hohokam put together, and they sat idle for about 400 years. And Jack Swilling and his group started the canals, watered some fields, sold crops to the uh, cavalry troops at Fort McDowell, as well as the mines in Wickenburg, to make money. So they were capitalists. And Phoenix became an agricultural powerhouse. Now, one of the things a lot of people don't realize When you talk to people, they think Phoenix started at Central Avenue in Washington, and that's not the case at all. Prior to what we know as Phoenix beginning, there was actually three different Phoenix locations in the valley, and they were all east of what we know as Phoenix now. The very first attempt was right across the Salt River from Hayden Butte. That's where Jack Swilling and his team first tried to settle, and they weren't successful. There was another one at about 18th Street in Van Buren, about 18th to 20th Street where St. Luke's Hospital is right now. There was a saloon there as well, and they were trying to start a Phoenix uh, at that point. And then there was also what was called the Phoenix Settlement, Mill City, it was also called Pumpkinville at one time because they were growing pumpkins there. And that one, actually, Jack Swilling became the postmaster. It was part of Yavapai County. It was a voting precinct. But then they actually uh, held a town meeting, got out, voted, and they made the town site where Central and Washington is right now. So I think so is, that's important for people to know. Is that the answer to your trivia
1: question, where it was the original Phoenix town site? That's is that right. what I write there, Washington and Central?
3: Well, the actual original <laughs> town site was uh, at about 30th Street and uh, Van Buren, between Van Buren and Washington. So I write 30th and Van Buren on there this. There you I'm going mean, to get all four right. of these on the back of your historic yeah. preservation business card. There you right? go. 30th? Yeah, you can text that to 493.
2: <laughs> Romy's a, a trivia aficionado, so he's he's, he's, very, okay. he's, very, he's not going to let you out of here until you answer, he's <laughs> oh, got I the see.
3: answer to all these questions. Very good, very good. Glad to help.
1: So we start out uh, revitalizing old irrigation canals. We start growing. What was their primary crop? Uh,
3: it was primary primarily alfalfa and barley. That's what they were growing, um, and whatever they could could put together to feed the animals at in the mines as well as the uh, animals at uh, Fort McDowell. That's what they were doing. Um, there was a guy prior to that, a guy named John Y. T. Smith. He was the supply master at Fort McDowell, and he was actually prior to Jack Swilling, and he was growing wild hay in the uh, in the Salt River bed. Uh, he really wasn't trying to establish a community; he was just trying to make some money from the uh, from Fort McDowell.
0: And a quick note on the Native American aspect of Phoenix <clears throat> history is that um, they started digging canals. Amazingly. Between The first ones were dug between the years 0 and 400. They date the earliest canals on the south side of the Salt River. And they realized that this was one of the best agricultural areas, not only in the uh, area, but in the whole United States. Uh, very level, very good soil, and add water to it, and you could support a lot of people. And that's what we base Phoenix today on. A lot of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> doubling, For many decades doubling in population.
3: There's a marker if people are really interested to see exactly where uh, some of those fields were. There is a historic marker standing on the south side of Washington, just east of 24th Street, uh, just on the south side of the uh, light rail. There's a marker there that talks about a guy named Frenchy Sawyer, who actually planted some of the first crops in Phoenix in 1868. And that's the location about twenty eighth Street, Washington, Van Buren, around in there. That's where um, there was actually up to about two hundred and fifty people there at one point. I'd sure love to know what
1: they did to the ground to start farming it. You know, we have the garden hour, our outdoor living hour here at Arizona, we talk about the lack of nutrients, the sun bleached sand, you know, you've got to add Colleges. all these <laughs> you've got to add all these components to the soil. What it what were the Indians able to do five hundred years mm. ago that like eh, we can make this work.
0: <laughs> well, and imagine, they had to dig the canals and engineer them with no metal tools, no pack animals, and no wheel to get the dirt out. And they had to...
1: I would have really liked to have been chief.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd have liked to have been the Indian. <laughs> and the, the
0: Indian tribes came together and cooperated at the Park of the Four Waters, which is at Pueblo Grande site, and that should be more public-oriented, visible, because that was the site of the water source for the whole valley the park of the four waters and we hope to make uh, one of steve's goals is to make that uh, much more accessible to the public
1: well let's learn more about that after bottom of the hour news break and see if there's anything we, as the listening audience can do help support that it's rosie on the house with you every saturday morning the answer is false wickenburg has flooded many times since (laughs) then all the mountains and rain coming
0: down the tank is full and we're moving through the arizona hour with sanderson ford and rosie on the house
1: Wickenberg's a hotspot for A-list celebrities. What? Kevin Spacey, Tiger Woods, Selena Gomez, Ringo Starr, Michael Douglas, Kate Moss, and Naomi Campbell are just some of the people you could meet if you've got $29,000 a month for your rehab. Romy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's public information, is it? Okay. I guess that's fair game, then. I wonder where that was <laughs>
2: I thought maybe they had stayed at our partner's ranch or something. No, okay.
1: Uh, they may have was at some point, but they checked into the meadows. <laughs> Little less known fact that <laughs> they don't really publicize a whole awful lot. As as it, was, have... it was. It f- th- was this segment we cover uh, famous, you know, iconic people, structures, or symbols, and. I had to. If we like it from Arizona, but it was Wickenberg, and that was that was in So okay. it might have been a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> uh. We're, we're uh, we have just gotten to the park of Four Waters, which sounded very interesting, and I want a little more detail on that before we move on. Uh, with our guests in studio, Steven Schumacher and Robert Malikia, both very active in the preservation of the phoenix area but you you could take this type of passion and go to any town in arizona i mean what led us to this interview was our coverage of prescott Uh, there's a lot of great history in tucson Uh, we were in two back this week you you could take this passion for historic restoration to to any town and if we don't do it i mean no one else is going to do it for us and it's all just going to be lost
3: yeah, that's absolutely right. We, uh, Rob and I share a, share a common passion. Uh, but yes, pretty much any city, if you research it, whether it be San Francisco or Boston or uh, Philadelphia, you know, more of the eastern cities that have more of a history than us, they still struggle with it. I think most, uh, most metropolitan cities struggle to some degree because developers are in a hurry. They don't want their money to sit idle. They want to they see an old building as something that's in the way to development and progress. And they're very quick to knock it down with their $80 million and move on. Uh, so, so yeah, it's a challenge for all kinds of cities. But but history sells.
0: It's a money-making proposition more longer term than short term. Short term, you it's kind of in the way, just as you said. But if you make the effort, it really does pay off. Every developer that has done that will tell you that it makes money more money in the long term than just uh, demolishing it and incorporate the historic building into your development is the the way to go.
1: And the Park of Four Waters real quick.
3: (laughs) Right. Yeah, the Park of Four Waters is a very historic part of the Pueblo Grande Museum uh, out at about 44th Street in Washington. Uh, It's called the Park of Four Waters because it's a location where four prehistoric Hohokam canals all came together. And uh, they give regular tours. You can just go on the Pueblo Grande Museum website. They give monthly, semi-monthly tours with the city archaeologists or the museum curator will tour you around there. But it's fenced off. You can't necessarily go in there on your own. A uh, really fun story about uh, the Park of Four Waters is it used to be more accessible and people would actually go out there. And in the early 1920s, there was a lady named Trinidad Swilling who had been married to the founder of Phoenix Jack Swilling. <clears throat> and the daughters of the American Revolution were having a gathering at the Park of Four Waters and... And Trinidad Swilling said to the president uh, lady who is the president of the Daughters of the American Revolution, she said, You promised you would put some memorial together for my husband. And unfortunately, Trinidad passed away before the Daughters of American Revolution put a plaque on the fountain in front of the old Maricopa City County Courthouse. And so that, to me, is a really fun story, not only about the Park Four Waters, but the wife of the founder of Phoenix and also what the daughters of the American Revolution did.
2: And you did mention if you wanted to see that park of four waters, you you have to have a guide. So you would go through yes. the Pueblo Grande Museum t- to get that done.
3: That's right. That's right. And they have regular tours set up. The reason they have it fenced off and so forth is there's still a lot of Hohokam artifacts mm-hmm. and arrowheads and so forth, just right above the ground out there. And they don't want people going around just scavenging them and picking them up.
2: Well, let's talk about going forward. I think that's a big part of the conversation. And um, you and I had talked a lot about... Um, uh, just educating, mm-hmm. and I think with our transient society, it's it's harder because people don't have the connection just kind of automatically built in. Like this is my hometown. So your idea is to is to go in and, and educate early, and and hope to invest in people who will stay here and invest here.
3: Right. Uh, yeah. In my, my cynical mind at times, I, I tend to—sometimes I, I think, let's just give up on the adults. Let's focus on the 11-, 12-, 13-year-old kids, and let's educate them right. Let's make them more aware of the different uh, buildings, the history, the culture. Let's— teach them to celebrate these things, and then when they get old enough and become decision-makers, they'll think twice about knocking down a building, and they'll value and celebrate the uh, uh, the history and the culture. A couple of things that we're doing around that, I've connected with the uh, head of curriculum for the Phoenix Union High School Districts to try to get something into the regular curriculum about Phoenix-specific history couple other things we're working on is, is thinking about getting actual barcodes put up on some of our historic buildings so that if people are walking by there, of course, with technology, they can put their smartphone right up there, click that barcode, Then look at their phone, and there will be pictures and information about the historic buildings. So that's And Rob has the idea of creating a marked walking path around downtown, and the combination of the path and the barcodes we think will be a great free educational device for people as they're walking around.
2: When you're talking to those teachers, you ought to incorporate the flat Stanley idea. Have you seen him? I have not. He's a little flat, like a paper doll. And when kids go away for a vacation or whatever, they take this little doll with them. And then they take a picture of themselves with Flat Stanley wherever. So our, our youngest one we did that with. It was fun. So then when they come back to classroom, they'd say, where has Flat Stanley been? So maybe a different little icon, but something where kids you know it's a competition or it's a show and tell show, take your flat stanley to some place historic in phoenix that would be fun and now, get them off the phone i'm sorry <laughs> the, Q- no, co- no, the that's qr a- code doesn't jazz me i'm just uh, one more reason for people to walk around with their head down
3: <laughs> that's a great idea I, any way we can get the younger generation where it's millennials or even younger kids i know down in vail arizona They've done a great job with their historic preservation and involving school children in projects and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's all about getting the, the the younger generations more attuned to what the history is and the heritage of Phoenix. And as they get a little bit older, uh, make make sure they're stewards of Phoenix history, just like Rob and I think of ourselves.
2: Well, let's talk to the to the elders for a minute. Let's talk to the adults. You know. I love the idea of repurposing, and we talked about some of the venues and things. Talk to a couple of the, about a couple of the really cool places to go, and I think just going in those kind of venues kind of inspires people.
0: Well, thank goodness. That's the best way to save a historic building, make it economically viable so the private marketplace does it for you. And we have so many great examples of that in central Phoenix, along 7th Street, Central Avenue, it's uh, 7th Avenue, People love history. They love going to uh, historic buildings, and that's really one of the main ways that people that enjoy history can support history and encourage it by going to businesses, restaurants, and other retail shops that are in historic buildings.
2: Yeah, that just makes my heart sing when I'm in a place that's that's old and they've repurposed it for – Art or eating or whatever. What's the clothing store downtown that's? Hennies. Hennies.
0: Magnificent restoration of a beautiful old building.
3: Rob and I were lucky enough uh, about a month ago to have lunch with a guy named Jim Kuykendall, who owns um, what was Wellnick Marketplace and Leaf Green Seed Company and right across the street what used to be the Phoenix Motor Company, which is now the Van Buren, which is a very successful entertainment venue. Fourth Avenue and Van Buren. Right, 4th Avenue in Van Buren, and he owns all three of those buildings and has repurposed all three of them, and has just done a magnificent job. And he's a guy that grew up in Phoenix, so we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have to educate people like that. Actually, when we had lunch, he was going through his old family photo album from his old days in Phoenix. But those kind of people are pretty rare that already have their own passion about saving buildings. And very valuable. <laughs>
0: Jonathan Vento on Roosevelt, who's been a real supporter of historic buildings, and made it very, very economically successful. Chucky e. Duff, who's many took many old buildings. So we have a, a half a dozen great developers in town that support history, and those. That's our best uh, avenue for saving them in the future.
2: But Romy asked a question that um, kind of sent y'all into a little. Something. <laughs> what are the top five historic buildings? So how do you come up with that? That was a lot harder question than we anticipated. What did y'all come up with?
3: Yeah, well, I had mentioned to Jennifer when she posed that question. There's all kinds of criteria to determine that. Are, are they the most, uh, the ones that are nearing demolition? Are they most endangered? Are they most popular? Are the oldest? Whatever it might be. And Rob and I went back and forth by email about this, and we've come up with five from our standpoint, uh, just our own. The first is the Rawson House. If you've been to the Rawson House, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's over in Heritage Square, right near Seventh. Uh, Street in Monroe, built in 1894. And you can take tours of that, just a fabulous building. Uh, The second one that we came up with is um, called the Fry Building. It's actually the oldest commercial building in downtown Phoenix. It was built in 1885. It's more known now by Marley's Restaurant is right there. It's at 2nd Street in Washington. Uh, The City County Building was built in 1928, I believe. 30... was it okay? Twenty nine, no, it yes. and it's at uh, between First Avenue, Second Avenue, and Washington. It was uh, at one time both Phoenix City Hall as well as a Maricopa County building. Uh, the, and
0: that's a great example of government cooperation, where the actual the city and the county came together to benefit both by uh, cooperating to build a magnificent architecture building.
3: At these buildings, you can all, you can go in all these, so you can go in and experience them and feel feel. Um, Um, The culture there. The Lures Building and Tower, 1924, 1928. George Lures is one of the early pioneers who built those buildings, as well as the uh, commercial hotel, uh, which later became the Lures Hotel. And then our state capitol building, which was built around 1900. Uh, We just took a tour of it a couple weeks ago, and it's just fabulous to sit in some of those decision-making halls.
1: Now, what about home or structures that we really... Don't want to preserve. I mean, do we really need that super salad on I-17 at Metro? Whoa. I mean, we
0: <laughs> yes, that how was can ex- we repurpose
3: oh, that one? You raised that <laughs> one, Romy.
0: That was a, a, a very cutting-edge bank uh, development when it came, and it had to be visible from this new uh, highway. So we all notice it. That served its purpose. It served its purpose. <laughs> it served its purpose. <laughs> you know, when I came this morning, your uh, one of your gentlemen in your office said, I'm from New York. Who? Why would you want to save Seneca Pre, uh, a 50-year-old building? But that was a connecting uh, d- wonderful memories for many, many Phoenicians. Easily could have been condo- incorporated in that d- development of 24th and Camelback. It would have been something special. Uh, known nationwide. Now it's a nice development where the d- developer made money.
2: Same old, same old.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. I never go there. It's, it looks like a mediocre uh, mid-rise. So there, I think we should—I'm more of a purist. I want to save almost all our historic buildings.
3: Well, the other thing about that super salad is that um, it was one of the original Western saving structures that the Driggs family started— and uh, the architect of that building was the same architect for the financial center at Central and Osborne. Some people call it the punch card building. Um, and so from, a, from an architect standpoint, as well as a historical standpoint, from one of our mayors and the Driggs family, uh, it's pretty significant. But yeah, as, as a super salad, it kind of stands alone. Tuned up and rolling. It's the Rosie on the House
0: Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Board.
1: And you still have 75 minutes to get the Hacienda River Preserve for Citizen Science Series workshop today. You uh, may get a chance to even see some of the mini-raptors, including the rare yellow-billed cuckoo, one of the few birds that can eat a hairy caterpillar.
2: <laughs> You're just full of good information this morning, <laughs> Romy. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what, I, I wish I could go join this. Uh, the, the Hacienda River Preserve <gasps> has a ton of great It's programs. magic. It's magic. So I but I got to be here Saturday morning and you want to talk about history and preserving. I was glad to see this, the dirty drummers coming back to their location on Thomas. Uh, When Rosie started this broadcast, I'm one of six kids and we all got to take turns. One Saturday a month was our Saturday with dad. We'd go to the station Uh, at that time. The call screening was sticky notes. Computers weren't a big part of broadcasting yet. And afterwards, we would go get a cheeseburger at the Dirty Drummer. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So glad to see that's coming back.
3: Nice. Yep.
2: That's your historic connection. (laughs) So we're going to finish up our time here with Steve Schumacher and Rob Malikian. And this has been just a fun, fun visit about historic preservation. If people got jazzed like I did about this time with you guys, what would you suggest if someone was interested in how can I be a part of this?
0: Well, the number one thing you can do is be interested and talk to your legislator, city council person. It's it's intimidating at first, but they want to know what you think. And if you like historic preservation, uh, you should contact them and, and also vote for people who are sympathetic to your ideas. And number two, support businesses that are in historic buildings. Those are the two things that you should do. If, if you don't do those two things, uh, number three is throw yourself in front of the bulldozer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, Rob Rob downplays uh, his writing and his, his ability to document history in books. I, I, I'm going to take the opportunity. If, if people want to do something in particular to educate themselves— Get Rob's book. I don't get a percentage or a commission or a kickback, but it's a fabulous book. He and Paul and John Jackmart did a fabulous job in putting that together. Now it's he's all got several, which past one? And present. Phoenix past and present. It shows you locations, what they used to look like a hundred years ago, and what they look like now. And so that's a piece you can do just to have fun with your family. It's a, a coffee table book. It's fabulous. Um One of the other things that I take the opportunity to do because I just like speaking in front of groups is I take my three minutes in front of the city council and the mayor. I have done that a couple times to stand up and talk about Phoenix historic preservation, jack swilling markers, historic markers. What are we doing? What can we continue to do? How do we celebrate and honor our history? So so take your three minutes as a citizen of the valley. The other thing I would say is if any of you have groups, uh, neighborhood associations, school groups, uh, whatever it might be, please call on me. I'm happy to come gratis, come speak anywhere for a half an hour, an hour, two hours, whatever it may be about Phoenix history and what we as a citizenry can do to honor our history a little bit better.
1: We have so much more than anyone gives us credit for, and not even just Phoenix, but again, all all of Arizona and preserving aspect, whatever town you're in, uh, we'd encourage you to get involved with historic preservation because no one's going to do it for us.
3: Very true. Very true.
0: Thank and you. The, and the present is rooted in the past. We make better decisions once you know where you, how you got to where you are.
1: Well, I actually am not going to be thinking can I take a wrecking ball to that super salad anymore now that I know <laughs> the history and it had to be visible from the highway and it had to, you know, the, the, the reason for it on that, I just thought it was some architect's uh, LSD trip from the late sixties. <laughs> Somebody said, yeah, why not? <laughs> I, I, I'm glad it's there. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, we've got our Arizona staycation. You can go to rosyonthehouse.com/travelaz to sign up. We are taking uh, entries for May. We've already picked April's winner, which is going to Douglas. Uh, May's going to the Catalina Mountains. And nice letter from our March winner, who stayed at the Flying E Ranch and drove a uh, Edge from Sanderson Ford up to the trip. And just how nice and laid back the people in Wickenburg were. And she goes on and on about the food. She did in our interview, too, at the Flying E Ranch. We're going to have to go up there just to eat the way she went on. So we appreciate all of our partners that helped make that a great staycation for our our winner. It was uh, Janet. She took her mother, Georgine. Looking forward to moving into Douglas in the month of April. We actually have—do you know Douglas has its own historian? The town of Douglas has an official historian— well, we're going to join us on the broadcast to educate our listeners about a little border town. You know, Douglas and Nogales are two towns I have never been to. I've seen them both at night from mountains. I can see the city glow, but I've never been into either town.
2: Well, I bet after visiting with, with her, you'll want to go.
1: I, we're going to have to make that uh, part of our april uh april rounds throughout the state thanks for tuning in you saturday morning eight o'clock our outdoor living hour if you've got a question it looks like the phones are open they've had some trouble this morning but it looks like they got them all working one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you if you want to talk about your landscape lawn or garden here at rosie on the house